0: This is MJ. I'm an author. I'm an artist. I'm an analyzer. You can find all my work at MJMunoz.com. I am here. This is a Story Over This is story over Everything, episode 43.5, and I'm back here. The reason I'm stumbling over myself is because I'm kind of afraid. I'm afraid because I'm talking to a horror author, Squall Charleston. He's here with Terror Valley, book number two, You're Not My Sensei. Woo! Squall, welcome to the show.
1: Don't be scared. I only write scary things. I, I like to think I'm a pretty nice guy,
0: uh, usually. <laughs> usually. There's that line. There's that line. So, um, I'm going to jump right into this and just ask you, what was the inspiration for this book? Do you have any background in martial arts that informed this, or was it just something else? I mean, yeah. Uh, there There's
1: a character in this book. His name is Chuck. And I like to think that all my characters sort of come from some sort of place of who I am or who I was. And I feel very drawn to Chuck because I wanted to get into karate when I was younger. But it wasn't that I wasn't, like, coordinated or wasn't good. But my mom just didn't want me to go and do it because I got into enough fights as is. She didn't want me actually, like, knowing how to, like, throw kids around if I really, you know, got into the to the spirit of it so um in a way i was sort of like chuck where i was very like i want to do this but i'm kind of apprehensive i didn't have to deal with like any karate zombies or anything like that so um when i was thinking of all the kind of ideas i wanted to do for this series we were watching cobra kai at the time and i thought to myself you know what this is so fun like how they take this original movie that you know hate it or love it i mean What it turned into in like the sequels following the first Karate Kid um, are debatable, but what the show Cobra Kai does is so much fun. And I just love the idea of Karate in the Valley, you know, Terror Valley. And I was just like, you know, this kind of goes hand in hand. And so I was like, well, what would a scary Karate story be like? You know, what would that entail? And I kind of came up with the idea of, you know, this kid moving to a new place and they have to go to this new Karate Dojo. um, And maybe maybe a little worse than Cobra Kai, where everyone's sort of brainwashed. Um, and then I kind of took it a little bit further. I'm like, well, what if they are like undead zombie karate students? Spoiler alert, sorry. <laughs> and you're not my sensei. That's where it came from.
0: Oh, very cool, very cool. So that's interesting. By the way, I was thinking about the book yesterday because I, yeah, I, fin- I was thinking about it last night. I finished it yesterday, like, before – I don't know, around noon or two, or something like that. And then it hit me like at six or seven at night. Chuck, Chuck Norris. Is there anything there with the name Chuck? Because I know you said you don't really sometimes it seems like you're you're kind of funny about your names. Either it was something super intentional or it's just you like it, you liked the sound of it, but did you like the sound of it because it made you think of Chuck Norris?
1: No, actually, that's the first time I've thought of Chuck Norris, which is really funny. Um, okay. I, I I knew someone named Chuck who I kind of picture, um, and I, I hate to, like, use the words of, like, y- you've read the book. Chuck's kind of um, on, an outlier on the outside. He's kind of, you know, not very popular, and I knew um, a Chuck growing up that kind of fit that mold, and I was just like, I, I, I workshopped a couple different names, but I was like, I kept coming back to Chuck. I'm like, I really like that. It just sounds like um, such a contrast to Remy. Remy and Chuck. It just sounded really nice together the more I wrote it and kind of just kept it. But, yeah, Chuck Norris, that's good. Uh, hopefully other people might think that there's a connection there too. <laughs> that's good.
0: I, th- I think they will. I think they will. It'll be good. It actually uh, – it kind of – I don't know. Did you ever see the movie Sidekicks, the yeah. Chuck Norris movie from the '80s? Yeah. yeah. So I all I remember is the guy's rising out of the water and it's all the kid's imagination, but it's not or whatever. So, so it – it uh that kind of all fits, and even if you don't have that touchstone, I think just Chuck Norris himself—that's enough. People, I think people will, will get the, you know, get a little kick out of that. So that'll be fun. But
1: he's nothing like Chuck Norris. I'll say that.
0: <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It, it, it's for Well, the maybe by the end, a little bit it, there, you, know? you know what I'm saying? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The ball, the Um. <laughs> so the uh, the other question I was going to ask is, let me see. Oh, so. I don't want to get too much into the spoiler territory yet. We'll... Uh, yeah, for the we'll, end. For the last five minutes, we'll do hard spoilers. Um, so what is, or rather, so as people may know or may not know, uh, Terra Valley is very much inspired by the Goosebumps. You want to be basically the successor to R.L. Stein, And, you know, if you keep working on it, I'm sure you will. Be. So, um, Thank you. Is the transfer student, uh, to quote an anime trope, Is the transfer student thing common in R.L. Stein's books at all, or is this something that you've introduced uh, with this?
1: No, and I I think you'll find um, it kind of transcends Goosebumps. Goosebumps, I think, is, like, the one that we might think about more, just because a lot of these stories involve sort of of fish-out-of-water scenarios. Like, you're not in your comfortable, um, you know, normal – town or, you know, in your old house or around old friends that you can really, you know, pull from. And I think that's what really makes Goosebumps work is because a lot of the kids in those stories have moved or are experiencing something new, which I know a lot of children go through. Unfortunately, you know, they're moving around all the time. They, you know, have to go to a new school. Like for me, I went to an elementary school and we moved across the city that I lived in. And my mom still let me go to that elementary school for like the last two years of, um, you know, then, and then she was like, all right, when middle school happens, we're just going to pivot and you'll go to the middle school with all these kids on the other side of the South of the city that you've never been in school with. And sure. it was a disaster. Um, <laughs> so I, I think like, yeah, I, I want to do stories like that, but I also want to look at sort of like what wasn't done, you know, like, a lot of kids don't move. A lot of kids, you know, grow up in the same spot that they've been, you know, since they were a baby. They have the same friends. They have the same, you know, people around them their whole lives. And so I want to kind of do like a healthy dose of that, whereas the first one in um, School's Out for Never, Freddie kind of experiences something new with his day in, day out um, familiarity, whereas Remy has to kind of plunge head first into, you know, a new town, new people, new um zombies you know a lot of stuff like that sort um but yeah a lot of goosebumps do have those sort of stories where it's a a new kid or you know transfer student
0: of sorts right right yeah and you know like I cited the the you know the anime trope like it's great to bring a new kid into a school and then it's just you get to see the whole world through their eyes and everything and that's a really good way to do things but and I I um I think I previously pointed out that I like that you went from having you started with Freddie, then you went to Remy, so you've got boy girl, and then now you're also seeing you've got it's hometown versus new in town, and I really think that's a valuable thing to do, and it's you know it's great that you're doing that already. Um, so I look forward to seeing what's different about the next place. I can already guess one thing, uh, and I feel like uh, do you is the title announced yet? It was at the end of the book technically. It's right? at
1: the end of the book. It's on the back of the cover. Um, the next title oh, number yeah. three is going to be called This Way to Camp. Blood, which is another uh, Goosebumps staple, is a camp story. He would do one a year um, that would release in the summer, so I'm going to try to do one that's not quite a camp story, but it takes place in a camp setting, and that's all I'm probably going to say for now.
0: Got it, okay. Well, I think (laughs) there's at least one reference or one hint as to what that's going to be in this book, and there may have been one reference to it in the first book as well, right? Yes, yes. So, it's the very
1: first line in the first book. I um, okay. I took it out <laughs> intentionally because I didn't want people to read that. And Camp Blood is also um, sort of has a relation to Friday the 13th series. That's originally okay. what they were going to call that series was Camp Blood. Um, so I didn't want people to read that first line and be like, oh, he's just trying to, you know, milk this or, you know, cash in on that. <laughs> so I took okay. that line out. The very first line in the first book was, I stayed up all night, you know, watching a back-to-back horror movie marathon, so no wonder I fell asleep in class. Hmm. He was watching Camp Blood. We'll just say that. Movie series. You got it. Okay. Universe.
0: Okay. Very cool. I like that. I like the... uh, Is that called vaporware when people make something up that exists in their universe and not outside of it? Like Like a property or whatever? Uh,
1: Maybe. I, I think it's just, like, you know, typical universe building, and I want this all to sort of take place in Anyville, USA, but also, like... Everything is in the exact same sort of location too, so you're not quite sure. Um, But everything in the universe will be in universe, and I might even, you know, future titles cross over some characters that are in older stories and new ones.
0: That's a very cool story. You know, that's a a fun potential. So Mm -hmm. I like that idea. Okay, well that's really cool. Um, Now I have to say, okay. Okay. Um I'm not I'm not a horror reader so this is you know this is new ter- territory for me. So thank you for filling me in on that. Cool. Um so let me see what's the next thing. Uh I'm going so the books felt or they were about the same length. Is that accurate to say you you basically targeted did you tar- did you target the same length or you came up with one length for the first book and then you said I'm going to try to keep them all at this uh at this length.
1: Um I had a goal of 25,000 words which is about the typical length for one of these, you know, scholastic release, middle grade chapter books. Um, And I was aiming for that here too, but I got closer to about (laughs) 30,000 words because I got to the end. I was just like, oh man, there's so much stuff I want to do right now. And then I went back and revised it. And I, typically when you revise, like the first one, I took out like two or three chapters worth of stuff. So it went from like 28,000 down to 25,000. This one, I went from, like, 26,000 up to, like, 30,000. Like, I was just adding more and more stuff in because I'm like, oh, I want to do this. Oh, I set that up. I should, you know, talk about that here. Um, It was a lot more fun to kind of, like, go back in from the beginning of this one and sort of set all that up. Like, I even went through and, like, mapped out my entire story beats. I'm holding up some paper here of, like, my, uh, you know, point-to-point of, this happens, that leads to this, you know, every kind of chapter idea. So I could kind of go through and block where I was because um, I kind of got into a, a rut with this one. Whereas in the first book, if I ever wrote myself into a corner or did something really crazy or stupid, I could just reset the day and Freddie's back in his classroom. But with this right. one, I had to have very specific things happen in order to map out where Remy is or where Remy needed to go. And I would get to certain parts and I'm just like, how do I get her back to like the school or how do I get her to go here or do this? And so it was a lot of fun to kind of like revise it and restructure it after I'd written like two thirds of it and finish it off that way.
0: Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I I was thinking about too, um, everything takes place in the school in the first book and everything takes place everywhere. There's probably five or six main locations Mm -hmm. in uh, for Remy to visit. So like there's her house, there's the school, there's the dojo. There's kind of the road in between, uh, and then where else? Is there one more location? No, I think
1: I think that's it. Like just the town, I guess mm-hmm. itself would be a location of her, like you know, like on the streets or sidewalks and whatever. Um, yeah. So from going going from one to five, you know, in the school you can have different rooms and sort of treat that as a different location, but. Right, this, that's true. Like the really hallways,
0: has, the hallways, and in front of the lockers is definitely a set. Like that's a location yeah, yeah, yeah. where a lot of stuff happens. So that's that's cool. And then you have the was it like the front uh, office? You know. Yeah, the front office, which is in the middle of the school. Which I liked you pointing that out. Like what a like. A I had a school that office. was like that, and it was so <laughs>
1: stupid. Everybody made fun of it, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna put yeah. that in the book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that detail. It was good. That's good. So did you have to? So it's weird. I got like a real familiar. Uh, and, like, cozy feeling almost with Freddy going through his day and looping, and it definitely gave me a certain vibe, and I didn't get that vibe here. Not that it wasn't cozy or homey or anything like that, but it was... I don't know, maybe the horror elements of what Freddy went through were, like, kind of offset by the comedy, so there was a little bit more warmth in there, too, and it's like, he almost gets, like, this, like... he, He has an interesting arc, and he has more of a progression like, with outside, uh, you know, adult... Well, I don't want to spoil anything too much, but, like, adult people who, like, advise him, sort of, right? Mm -hmm. So, whereas Remy, even though she has people she can count on, uh, she's very much removed from them, and she's very isolated. So, again, I like the contrast so far. You've got, like, this coziness, and then you have this contrast and this this isolation that Remy, uh, you know, has to deal with. Um, Did you ever consider, like, giving her a little more help? Or, like, did you always have... In mind that you would be this isolated, or did you kind of play with that and just see what felt right to you? I mean,
1: going back to like the first book, I think Freddie did a lot of it on his own as well, because of the twist of things and because of him actually, you know, experiencing this on his own. Even though, um, try to make this as spoiler light as possible, there were other people and other forces that could have intervened and tried to, but really, it was up to him to sort of figure out what's going on to him on his own. What I wanted to do with this was I really like the idea of going back to, like, Arl Stein and Goosebumps. He always has, you know, like, the adults never believe the kids. The kids are always on their own. The kids always have to, you know, fight Dracula. They have to fight the swamp monster. They have to go off and kind of do their own thing. And sometimes even, like, those interpersonal communication between the kids. Like, if there's, like, an older brother or sister, they won't believe them until, like, halfway through the book. And sort of formulaic in that regard. And what I wanted to do with this one was I really wanted to make it seem like these two characters knew what was happening and then to sort of strip away all of those things until it is just Remy. And she does have help later on in the book. um, And she does have adults that she can turn to, which is, I I really like kind of where that third arc comes in. Um, But ultimately, with a lot of things in our own lives, like it's our own battles, it's our own sort of conquering of our fears that allow us to get through those hard times and allow us to grow as a person. And that's, I think, at the, the root of the book, what I really wanted it to be about was all these things that are out of our control and all these things that we know can help us and could, maybe won't always. And sometimes it is up to us to, you know, persevere and fight through that. And hopefully, you know, we come out on the other side of it.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I did find it really interesting how, like, when that third arc started to happen, first of all, that was, like, almost exactly 70% through the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought, that's interesting. Like, that's, like, okay. Like, I was kind of not waiting for something to happen, but I was I was not expecting that to happen, certainly. Um, okay, cool. And I Absolutely. even expected it to go. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. And it, I expected it to kind of go one direction, and uh, we'll wait, like, Ten more minutes before we really get into it. Sure. Um, no, I really. How it was going. Yeah, I really liked what. Um, I really like what you did, but I like how no matter what happened, Remy was still the one who was responsible for dealing with things, and I like the direct callback to the beginning of the book um, at the end there. And uh, this is kind of a spoiler, but it's not really because I'm going to remove all the context of it. Sure. I, as the book was progressing, I was thinking when is Remy going to say, you're not my sensei? Because, uh, right. it's just such a great title and she, it's, it's its a declaration. It has to be said in the book. Right. And then when it finally was, it was so mm-hmm. cathartic and I really appreciated that. And I thought that was really cool. And I, I like to, um, Oh, I know what we can talk about for about 10 minutes. Uh, you have a fantasy book, a larger, uh, fantasy series that you're working on as well. Sci-fi correct? fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Sci-fi fantasy. Okay. So, uh, that being said, I'm going to take a step back. Uh, I have heard it said that, whether it's science fiction or fantasy, and maybe even horror, you can say that there's either, like, a hard magic system or there's a soft magic system in it. Do you, have you heard that, and do you agree, or not?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's definitely a line in the sand of, like, how technical things are or how, like, magical, and I think that's kind of, like, the deciding factor between sci-fi and fantasy is, like, You open up a fantasy book like Dordar Martin and you're expecting, oh, yeah, there's undead people that, you know, can wield fire. And there's also dragons. But you open up like an Andy Weir novel who's, you know, talking about a guy stranded on Mars. You expect there to be a lot more realism of like how is he going to grow potatoes with his own, you know, fecal matter. And just kind of (laughs) going from that. And I really like the idea of bridging that line between the two because I think there's not a lot of books that operate on both sides at the same time of you bring technology back to, like, you know, Stone Age or something, and they'll think it's magic. You put Mm -hmm. somebody that is, you know, you or I in today's day in another universe and, like, the stuff that they see is magic and then kind of walking that line and kind of boiling it down to, like, how does that operate? How does that work as both, I think, is a fun Mm -hmm. thing that not a lot of authors I've seen do that.
0: Okay. Um, Well, I... I'm talking about that because I was thinking about the. Like, you have a very. And this isn't a spoiler because it talks about Karate Zombies on the back and everything. Mm-hmm. You have a very specific, um, like methodology or, uh, way that you demonstrate what's going on and when things are going to get crazy in the book. And it basically has to do with the red bandanas mm-hmm. that all the, uh, Solar Strike kids are wearing. Um, so. Yeah. Uh,. So, you know, there's the swirling of them, there's the flapping of them, all those different things, like, indicate something going on, and they indicate, you know, when they are there, and, you know, when she specifically feels um, that she's going to be in trouble, and then there's something that happens with her towards the end, where it almost seems like there's a force, and then there's a counter force, and the Sensei of Solar Strike is wielding or operating with that force, and then Remy is operating with the opposite force, and... Mm -hmm but you don't name them uh you don't try to over explain oh,
1: so no, while
0: there's like, there's a very like um all the ruling all the rules all the way that it operates in the world because it is fantastical I, I don't know if, if you can say horror is is you know magical or horror is you know, Fantastical specifically, but the way I'm looking at it, just mechanically, it is. Because mm-hmm. these are unexplainable things. They're unseen things. They are breaking the normal rules of the world. It's supernatural in origin, but, mm-hmm. uh, or and, we don't know what the origins are. Now, right. we could. You could have, there's a hell machine in Terror Valley that the devil has created in order to, you know, reap, you yeah. know, like Sailor Moon, right? To, to suck out terror from the kids or whatever. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but, but You don't have to do that, and you could argue that that would make it a worse series. So uh, you're being consistent and, like, mechanical and methodical in how you display the way things work, but the way things work is still hidden and wrapped in mystery. And I'm assuming by the fact that you're nodding and and making positive noises, that's that's definitely your intention. Um, Will you ever consider being more technical, being more hard with the magic and with the, the mystery of what's going on, or is that to you, like, the key element that you want to play with, that mystery, that vagueness.
1: I mean, that's what makes things scary, I think, is the unknown of how did this happen? How does that work? Like, you watch a serial killer movie, like a slasher, like Scream, for instance, and you know one of these main characters is the killer. Then you just have to figure out, like, how are they getting away with this? How are they doing this? And that's sort of, like, the appeal of those. And while I feel those are more like a mystery genre, I do like the the fanatical, you know, like something that can't be quite explained. And I think there's a lot of stories out there that try to explain that or there are remakes that show you, like they over-explain it or they, like, you know, try so hard to make it believable. Like you look at, um, like Marvel and DC, for instance. Marvel comics have always been more technical, whereas DC comics have always been kind of more magical. You know, you got Superman flying around. Um, Batman's, like, the only, you know, outlier of that, but in the movies, for Marvel, they do a lot of stuff that DC Comics did really well where they don't explain it, but then they release more and more movies that kind of, you know, start to explain things more and more, like, where did these, you know, Infinity Stones come from, and it's like, it doesn't matter, they're there, this big purple dude's gonna use them, he's gonna wipe out half the universe, get together, and he'll kick his ass, you know, like, what do you, <laughs> why do I need this explained to me? I, yeah, explain what they do, that's great, but I I feel like as as a reader, right, you want to be able to jump into a story where you can connect with the main character and you sort of live through everything through their eyes. And so they're not going to know inherently what these red headbands are doing to the kids. They're only going to see the correlation between, okay, all of these kids that everyone is afraid of in this town have those headbands. Oh, man, my best friend, well... You know, I I use that very lightly, best friend. My only friend here ends up getting one of those headbands and he turns into Chuck Norris. You know, like there's (laughs) – you kind of piece things together and at the end of it, you might not ever really fully know. And I think that's just like good storytelling. Like a filmmaker will show you something. A bad filmmaker will tell you something. And I think Mm -hmm. that very much applies to a story too, that if you're going to operate in that – you kind of have to decide: Do I explain everything? And I feel like in this case, if I did with these stories, it just it wouldn't it wouldn't feel right. It doesn't feel the same, you know. Like there's an element of it, and you take that humanity and you put it through that small little envelope of space of how they can operate and they have to kind of figure their way out through it. I don't know. I think it's more fun that way.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me ask you something as a, as a writer. Does it save you time to just say, somehow this is happening, I don't really understand it, and I'm just going to move forward and say, how does that affect my main character, and what does that put them through? Is that, is that what you do?
1: I mean, yes and no. Like, there's there's a lot of other tricks that I do that, um, as, a, as a reader, I gloss over a lot of um, prose. Like, I listen to people explain, like, every little detail in a room. I explain, like... Every little detail on a person's face, and I'm like, I fall asleep reading that. I, you know, I gloss over that. That that doesn't do anything for me. I know a lot of people are like, I need to know exactly like how many freckles are on the left side of this character's face. But for me, like, there's a character in this book who I describe their hair only because I know later on I'm going to have to re-describe that specific character and the change that happens, and that's why I include that detail. Um, mm-hmm. I don't try to over include details just for the sake of it, just to you know fluff up word count. I like to describe things in a very natural way in a very like, what do I need to know? Okay? I don't explain anything about Remy, but you probably have a really good idea of what she looks like or who she is. Same with Chuck, you know like I try not to over explain things because I think it helps the reader settle in more. Instead of, like, um, you remember, like, when Hunger Games came out, like, the books and the movies? They had a character in there. Her name was Lure. Um, or, no, no, what is what is her name? Oh, I'm thinking of a different book. Um, but there, there's a character in there, right? She's, like, this little girl that teams up with Katniss who, in the book, it very much describes her as being black. And so when the movie right. came out and they cast a black actor to play her, people lost their mind. I don't know why, maybe they just didn't read it correctly, but, like, I read that book and came away of like, oh, yeah, you know, she wanted, Suzanne wanted to make that character black, and she, you know, described it to a pretty good detail that, in my mind, I was like, yeah, that's exactly. And then I saw the movie, I'm like, yeah, it's perfect. But, like, that's the thing. Other people have, like, their own specific mindsets, and so I feel like these will probably never be a book or a movie. I want everybody to be able to, like, pick them up picture themselves or picture whatever they want without my writing obstructing that or, like, taking away anything that they had going on, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I think that's cool. And I actually no, – I thought about that, too. I thought, I have no idea what these kids look like other than Freddy, or no, uh, Chuck's acne, and I think he's a little pudgy. Um, I think that was specifically mentioned. Um, at least that's what I saw, though, um, you know? Uh, I didn't fully really uh, mention yeah.
1: it, but I gave you context clues that you might – might lead you to that like with his unbalance and how short he is for his age and yeah. how remy's the shortest of her class like there's there's right. a little context clues in there
0: yeah that's good but it's nice because it's like you're just drawing a comparison between co- two characters but it doesn't fully describe so i do like that style and i i gotta say so i'm uh, i'm reading a superhero series uh with my kids sort of off and on and it's very it's first person and your books are first person and i uh I actually don't really get first person. Like, like I wouldn't write first person. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever really read anything that was first person. Like, maybe... Yeah, I don't think I've read, ever read anything besides, uh, you know, your stuff and then this uh, superhero book I'm reading and, uh, like, maybe one other thing that's first person. And it's really weird, um, but, it, like, it really does give a, a different effect and it really is immersive. I can see that. And um, I appreciate that. And it's just, it's really interesting how little detail you have to give and how little context you have to give in order for people to understand, especially because it's not a you know, completely foreign world. It's a mundane world, for lack of a better term, um, and it's the things that are different in it that stand out, that upset the balance of it, that right. throw the kid off, and that make it horrific or fantastical, and I think that makes a lot of sense to just like focus in on those things and it definitely works, so um, I do like that, and so I guess that's, like, as a third-person only, like, third-person limited guy, that's my favorite style of writing, that's what I want to read, that's what I want to write, I, like, this first-person writing has my stamp of approval, and it's really cool how effectively it can be used, and I appreciate that, so.
1: Well, see, I come from a background like you, too, like, I love reading third-person, I just could not get into first-person, because, like, a lot of children's, like, younger-aged books are written in first-person, just to kind of help guide a little bit. You can kind of get into the mind of that character a little bit better. Um, But I never thought that, like, I would like writing first person until I started doing it. Now, there are other people out there, like, bringing up The Hunger Games again. The Hunger Games is told in first person present tense, and it's Mm. really hard. It's really jarring to me personally to read that, because I I love, you know, like, past tense third person. Um, And I kind of do, like, past tense first person here. I almost tell it like they're telling the story, which I think... Yeah, makes it a little more interesting and makes it more fun for me to kind of um, guide through it because I can kind of put my own emotion in there rather than being, you know, standing back and saying, well, how would this character feel? What is this character thinking? I can really kind of yeah. put you into the shoes of Remy, of Freddie, of um, our next characters, you know, and just sort of blast away. <laughs>
0: right, right. That's cool. Um, now you said, well, I don't want to get into that. I actually do want to get into spoiler talk now. All right. Um, yeah. So I I should go soon. So we should do spoiler talk. Um, what? So the the hair thing you were talking about. So we'll, we'll again, we'll give people like ten seconds to get out of here with spoilers. So I want to ask you. I'll, I'll give the topics. I want to talk about the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about what do I want to talk about? I don't know. Oh, one thing I want to mention, just to pad out our time a little yeah, bit yeah. more, is I was confident that one of Freddy's friends was black in the last book. I can't remember his name now. Dean? But I thought, oh, this is his black friend. Huh? Dean? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Dean? Um, but I thought...
1: Yeah, there's a few of them there. I don't remember okay. their names right I now thought, off thought top of my head.
0: I thought, that was, I thought that was really cool. And then, like, over here with these characters, I thought it hit me, like, oh, this is really cool because, like, there's no context on who these people are except for the immediate stuff. And I really appreciate that because, like, anybody can read it and just feel comfortable with it. And there's no – there's, like, nothing to alienate because it's kind of like you're doing, like, suburbia you're doing school, you're doing kids stuff, and that's, like, a very common – like, they call it mm-hmm. flyover country for a reason. That's not most of the country. It's um, – or, yeah. rather, most of the country isn't, suburb- isn't urban and isn't big city. Most of it is this yeah. small town type of stuff, which is something great because I think most kids, regardless of where they live, their experience is mostly kind of that more small town – uh, quiet, subdued type of thing. Even if they're in like a big school with you know lots of different grades or whatever. Um, so that's really cool. All right. So now, spoilers, major spoilers. So, um, okay, the hair. That's the toupee, right? Specifically.
1: The the two. No, I, I I did
0: two. I guess I
1: I described two characters' hairs in this book. Um, yes, okay. the toupee for one of Mr. Flum. And then the, the boy that stopped Remy from going into school the first day had like,
0: Oh yeah.
1: Actually blonde after the influence of the sensei washes away. Um, right. But yeah, so the, there's the toupee thing, which that was an idea I had as soon as I came up with the idea of the headbands. Cause I'm like, I bought, sure. I bought a headband. I almost wore one for this, but I realized we we're just going to do audio. Um, maybe the other <laughs> interviews, if you guys watch any others, I'll probably have a headband on. Um, you, you feel cool, like the Barbie movie had just come out, and like he has this like wicked purple headband. And originally, I wrote the headbands and everything being purple, because in my mind mm-hmm. that was sort of the solar strike of it. And then I got the amazing art back, and I was just like, oh man, that red looks so badass. I know people are gonna <laughs> have a problem if if it's purple in the book, you know. But so I went and yeah, I definitely. yeah, I changed it all to red, and I'm like, I like this more, I think. Um, okay. <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's the toupee that has the hidden headband underneath, which um, only one person I was like, kind of like, I, I have a few friends that I, I write, like obviously Lauren, who's my editor, my wife, she, um, she kind of gets every chapter as I finish it. And so sometimes I'll come out and I'll be like, I finished a chapter. And she's like, okay, read it to me and I'll read it. And then she'll be like okay, continue, and I'm like, that's all I wrote. She's like, well, get, the, get back in there, keep writing. Um, and she didn't even see the two thing coming, and I thought I was making it a little too obvious. Um, hmm. So I think that that one worked really well. But, uh, yeah, fun. Did you um, – can I ask you a question? Did you sure, get sure. the impression that the kids, the students of Solar Strike Karate are not just like – kids that have been, I want to say, like, abducted or taken in within, like, the last year or two, but, like, over decades. Did you kind of get that? Oh,
0: that? I did get that. By the, okay, I got cool. that by the end, and then it, it like, threw me off because I thought, well, how, first question, how old are all these kids, and what are the age ranges, right. and are they, like, frozen at that age? And then how are they going to integrate to society? Because it's like, yeah, hey, mom, it's, uh, I, I left you in 1987. Come pick me up. Like, how are you going to yeah. do that, you know?
1: Right, right. So I um, that
0: was a cool detail.
1: Yeah, one of the things I really was going to, like, talk about more was sort of, like, the disappearance of the families. And, like, Chuck would kind of be our central character that we would see that start to happen. But then I was like, you know what's scary if I just – if I describe it briefly that this is happening and that you, you don't know. That's the scarier part is that Principal Cope doesn't know what happens. Everybody else in the town that's aware of it doesn't happen uh, that, you know, doesn't know – And all the kids talk about it, too, but even they don't know. So I thought that was kind of, like, more fun to do it that way, more sinister.
0: And it is more sinister, but it's also uh, better logistically. Mm -hmm. Like, if you had 30 kids disappear one year, that would be nuts. Right. But if it was, like, one kid every year or whatever for a long time, that's Mm kind of worse in a lot of ways. But it it makes it easier to absorb the loss,
1: Mm -hmm. you know? They almost got Sensei Roberts, but uh, maybe she got out. You don't know. Maybe she, she pulled a Remy.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, and that was weird too. That was a cool thing too. So, like, all right, so now we can talk about spoilers about that third arc. So, you know, you have these, uh, you have Cynthia Robertson, you have uh, Principal Cope, right? Yep. Uh, they they come in and they basically help Remy like when she's all out of options and she's basically screwed. By the way, so it, one of the things that you did, I think, to get Remy to the school was that like find my iPhone thing that she has paired with her dad, so they can find each other. Yep. That was super cool. I thought that was really novel, and I like like. Hearing you talk about it, the way you talked about it, I thought, oh, so Squall just made that up when he had to figure out a way to get her there, but it, even cool. if you didn't, it's cool because it's, like, it's not seeded at all, and mm-hmm. it's, ex- it, it, but it's not like a deus ex machina. It, it doesn't natural. come out of nowhere. Right. But yeah, it does
1: feel natural, which was great. Well, the problem that I was having that I, like, I, I took, like, two, three weeks off from writing this just because I was getting really frustrated because I had her, I had that Principal Cope and her talk about solar strike happen inside the school, like d- literally right mm-hmm. after how we got beat up by Chuck when Chuck gets fully okay. possessed by the headband. I had that happen in the school. And then the message was like, they are coming, get out of the school. And so then I had her like try to get out of the school. And like, I had like Mr. I had this whole scene of like Mr. Flum chasing after her. And I was like, wait a minute. But if I want to do like the reveal later, I kind of have to play it, you know, a little more level headed because in the last book, I really wanted you to feel like the character you couldn't trust becomes, you know, like your, your greatest confidant, like your greatest ally right. in this. And that was the coach. And so I kind of wanted to do that with this. Like, you're like, well, maybe principal cope is up to something. Maybe Mr. Flum is going to, you know, but I'm like, no, it's, it's really what you think it is to kind of like double get you. But I like had her like getting out of the school. Now I'm like, well, how do I get her dad to the school? Cause that's ultimately how she's going to get to the school. And by the time I rewrote it, I was like, what if she just gets expelled? What if he's just like, yeah, you're out of here? That would immediately Mm -hmm. send Dad off to the school, and that would immediately get her to go after and find him. And I was like, hey, sometimes it just takes, like, three weeks of, you know, not thinking about it to, like, have that little eureka moment. And that's kind of where everything came from after her house gets broken into.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I fully expected for um, him to be at the dojo and for him – uh, for her the final confrontation with the dojo, which we do eventually get, mm-hmm. which is cool. But I like how it's kind of like two tiered there. Um, I like how it's two tiered there. That's good.
1: Yeah, because they are get go girl, to go um, to the dojo the for him. But uh-huh. if they have him elsewhere, then you know they don't have to worry about anything about another adult getting loose or. So I was like, okay, yeah. I, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, and
0: then and then I like how you you split up. Cope goes with her dad, and then. Uh, Remy goes with her sensei, and it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen now? And I, I like too that Remy like doesn't get what's going on at all, um, but her sensei, and then like you get the extra reveal. So there's like there's like three or four reveals yeah. in the end game of the book, which is really cool because it's like, well, where can it go from here? Like she has to fight the sensei or whatever, and that that's the logical conclusion. But how you get to it is really interesting and exciting, and it, it adds different elements to it. So uh, I did feel like it was a little bit like with um with the the looping, like, okay, so this has happened before. Mm-hmm. But that's not a bad thing. <laughs> and uh but I don't think that should define every book and I doubt that's your plan. Um no, no, but yeah, yeah, no, to have yeah to have, you know, this has happened before and an adult and a kid are gonna get paired together or whatever. Um it makes sense and it made it uh I just I liked the history that there was there with her and Sensei Roberts well I think their history alone and then Roberts and then the Solar Strike sensei. And mm-hmm. I think She didn't know – Remy kept from her the name of the school until, like, things were bad. And then that set her off. And that – so, like, it almost seems implausible that Cope and uh, Roberts would be there at the same time. But really, if you think about the way it worked out, it makes sense that it would happen. I had to to really kind of, like,
1: break it down and, like, structure it. I took out a whole chapter where she, like, left her another message. And I was like, why is she, like, leaving her two messages? She should leave her a message approximately four to five hours – Before I need her on the scene. Okay, how does that fit her? Then I put it there, you know, like right after she gets expelled and then sets off everything.
0: Right. So that's really cool. I I like how that timed out. And then I like that there's that history there. And again, like going back to like hard magic, soft magic thing, like something happened before. There are defined rules. We don't necessarily know what they are. Obviously, Remy realized when she tears off uh, Chuck's hair and the headband comes off that the headband is some sort of conduit that connects the sensei to the kids, and then I like that extra thing that, like, because Remy didn't bow to the sensei in that first, like, was that chapter two or three? It was super I early on. It was
1: chapter like seven, yeah.
0: Okay. It's the first okay. time it, she's it, in the dojo. Exactly. Wait,
1: yeah, it's, it's the second time. I had it originally as the first time, but it's the second time when she goes back and she has to fight Chuck. Um.
0: Okay, that's right. Yeah, him, it so. is before fighting Chuck because mm-hmm. Chuck bows, and then that starts the enchantment or whatever. That mm-hmm. the sense it has on him. So like I said, it's like, it's cool because it's very clearly defined rules and once you know them after the fact, you can go back and say, oh, okay, so this makes sense because of all these things mechanistically had to happen, but still, what's the mystical source behind it? Who knows? Who cares? It creates the the horror and it creates the, the, you know, the exciting, you know, twisted nature of the world right. for Remy to have to go through. So that was cool. Well,
1: the original title was, uh, uh, oh, what was the original title? <sighs> Bow to your sensei. And that's what I was going with. And the the few people, like the four people that I was describing my very, very basic idea of this book before I fleshed it out was like, oh, Napoleon Dynamite. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, there's a character in there that says, Bow to your sensei. I was like, oh, my God, you're right. I haven't thought about that movie in like 20 years. And, (laughs) yeah, I cannot name it Bow to your sensei, even though, like, that was the main idea I had was – these kids bow, and then he kind of takes them over. Um, mm-hmm. Or he has like you know a very faint connection, which he's able to get. I think just by proximity, which is why Remy hears the voices and why she sees the things she does. But it's Chuck who active. It's Chuck who actively bows and gets that you know direct connection that then the headband sort of completes the complete you know conversion of. His will and his, you know, body over to this this force. Right,
0: right. That makes sense. So, uh, by the way, that's your. That's because you have a new MacBook, right? That's what this is. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard somebody else on a podcast talking about they did something and their MacBook did. Yeah. There you go. It's like gestures, right? So,
1: yeah. That's <laughs>
0: hilarious, guys. I'm I'm sorry you didn't see that. Maybe you'll have to go on the next one. It's cool, laser. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of whatever, I was going to say Napoleon Dynamite. Some... Anyway, um... but
1: you know what's really funny about the title "Now You're Not My Sensei" is that I did want that as a line, and I had that actually early on when she first fought Chuck in the dojo. And then, I, mm. as I got closer to the end, I was like, "Nah, I need to have it at the end. That's it's got to be like the the line before the kill. Is that what they call it? Like when before Arnold Schwarzenegger blows up a terrorist, you know, Uh uh-huh. off." Pfft, I, want, I wanted that for Remy. I wanted that sort of like cathartic, like you said, moment of it coming full circle. Right. And yeah. I needed my, to my favorite to one of those there too.
0: Right. My favorite one of those is from Total Recall. Oh yeah, yeah. that yeah. is? <laughs> yeah. Oh god, sorry. Uh, I went off on a whole thing, pre- like not too long ago about that, but that's this is not the time or place for that. But yeah, I mean, so uh, I really liked. And, you know, speaking of, you know, circling things, I like how her punching the tree is the first thing we see Remy doing, really, and calling back to that and knowing that that came from Sensei Roberts uh, and that she's using it to now defeat, you know, the ghoul sensei or the solar strike sensei, whatever. Um, Like, that's so cool, and that really works. So I like that, that bookending effect, and... Yeah. I just like the book ending effect. I think that's very cool. So that was a good, and it felt really good and it was nice. So
1: I didn't even plan that. That just kind of came out as I was writing. And then I was, I thought about it a little bit more. So when I went back and like did my final revision, I kind of flushed it out a little bit here and there, but like it's, it's with anything in life, like whether you're playing a musical instrument, whether you're writing or practicing karate, every time you practice, every time should always be a learning moment. It should help impact, you know, what you do later with that skill. And that's, I thought, I thought it was a fun little, you know, nod to that of her back in her front yard, training on punching and taking it out on a poor tree. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, no, that was cool. That was cool, and it made me think. I don't know. I don't remember where I got this from, but maybe I was doing research that like a lot of the karate stuff. Uh, maybe it was when I was in my little Bruce Lee phase because I was. I watched a documentary and I wanted to learn all about Bruce Lee and his dough and everything else. But like. Oh. Uh, it, From what I learned years ago, it was like the, uh, you know, your Kung Fu is better than my, or, you know, my Kung Fu is better than your Kung Fu. Like, these different schools of of martial arts, they had, like, mythos and misdirection around them Mm -hmm. in order to, like, fool people and, like, make it more mysterious and, like, almost even, like, kind of add reputation or, like, uh, like a fear factor to intimidate people to, like, quell conflict. So, like, I remember reading about that this one school would teach people how to rip somebody's heart out of their chest, and the way that you do it, is you do, like, you know, a hundred times a day. You make a claw with your fist, or with your hand, and you push forward as hard as you can, and you do it a hundred times, and then you do it through, uh, you do it in air, then you do it in water, then you do it in sand, then you do it through, like, beans, and you do it through rice, or whatever, like, you scale up until, like, you're doing it through rocks, and then eventually after doing this for years, you now know how to rip someone's heart out of their chest. And, uh, it kind of reminded me of that, her punching the tree, and it, I, it just, it gave me a flashback to that, that I have a touchstone too, um, and It works on its own independent of that, but I just thought that was a really cool moment. And uh, had you heard anything like that uh, that you were throwing back to or or not?
1: Yeah, from what I know, like, a lot of that is just repetition and, like, doing the same thing over and over again. And I also kind of wanted to have, like, a last-minute redirect where it's the last point, right? Remy has to win. She's smaller than this guy. He's descending on her. And, like, my wife, she was, like, I thought for sure she was going to, like, uppercut him. Or, like, she would, like... Punch him and punch through him, or something would happen. And you know, just just the idea of her, like you know, doing that movement. Um, yeah, I think it it blends in with those sort of you know
0: teachings very well. Right. Oh, and I gotta say, I really liked, and I could we could have talked about this in the, in this in the spoiler free area, but mm-hmm. I really liked your combat. I think you did like a like oh, that cool. fight where you highlighted their size difference yeah. and how she used that to her advantage was great. And also just like. The brutality of possessed Chuck yeah. uh, <laughs> was like that was that was rough. And but I liked it. It was good. I I didn't think you went too far and I thought, Well, this is a horror book. That's horrible what he's doing. It's horrific. It's you know, it's nasty and gross and like it works, mm-hmm. you know. Um so I liked that and just uh yeah, just all the little stuff of the fighting I thought was really good. And I thought, yeah, this guy used to, uh, you know, used to watch Power Rangers, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got You have to scale everything, like, in terms of, you know, the character development, in terms of the horror aspect of it. Like, definitely this one's much scarier than the first one with some of the imagery of, like, you know, the students that break into her her house. But, like, I feel like you have to have, you know... Her ability, when she takes out Howie the first time, real easy. You have to have Chuck's ability of copying her move. You have to have, you know, like, Chuck beating her with her own moves. You have to have Chuck, you know, completely annihilating it so that by the time you do have her in the house and there's, like, five of these other kids that have Chuck-like, you know, power levels, for lack of a better word. (laughs) Like, you feel a lot more scared for her because she already got, you know, beat up by Chuck. Same with like you right. know when she's facing off Flum, that's going to influence how she fights Sensei. But the right. Sensei obviously is more in control; he's more centered there, and he also doesn't get blindsided by Sensei Roberts. But you know, <laughs> that's another thing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I thought that was all really cool, and I think too. Um, yeah, no, I was surprised by by the fighting, and I thought, well, this is good because, um, like, I I'm not sure how hard fighting is to write, um, but like you know. If you read The Hobbit, you know, what happens? Bilbo gets knocked out, and then he wakes up. If you, if yeah. you read The Horse's Boy, what happens? Uh, he gets knocked out, and then wakes up after the battle. So it's like, even in the first Harry Potter book, what happens? Harry passes out, and he wakes up in the... I think it's the first three books, he passes out and wakes up in the hospital, right? So Yeah, um, or like, have you ever read Aragorn? It's easy to do.
1: Like, every chapter, he huh? passes out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So, it's kind of, uh, you know... It's something easy to do, and, and the fights are hard to get right, but, uh, I, you know, I think you did a really good job with them, so that was uh, that was really cool. So uh, I think i I got to wrap up. Um, is there any stuff you want to talk about before I let you go? No, I just had a
1: lot of fun writing this one, and um, the reception so far has been really fun. Just, It's a different type of story, and I think I, I mentioned in the last one, you know, that we recorded that we weren't able to release that. <laughs> I want to increase the scare factor with every book, and I, I, what I have planned for the next one, <laughs> there's some cool weird stuff in it that I want to do that I think might push the lines in a few places, but I'm really excited to get into that. And I just have this fun idea of doing the three where you have more science fiction for the first one, more like action for the second one, and then just straight up horror for the third one, and I'm I'm super excited to, to get into it here. Um, and if you want to check out that or, you know, check out the book, you can always visit us at terrorvalley.com. Um, we're over on Twitter as well as Terror Valley Books, which is like BKS just because, you, you know, you can't fit as many in the, the character limit. Um, so you can follow us there. We'll keep it updated. And we're actually doing a fun little thing this holiday season. That By the time this goes out, it'll probably be going on. But everybody that buys a book – From here on out through the rest of the year, I am going to match that and donate to a local school or library here in the Kansas City area. So check it out. They're fun. And um, I can't wait to to come back and talk about the third book and what you think of that
0: one. Very cool. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to hear what pure horror is going to be like coming from news. (laughs) Because, you know, like I said, I I thought like the, the big scary scene in uh, School's Out for Never, The Chase, I'll just call it that, The Chase, yeah. uh, The Deadly Chase, that was that was intense. Yeah. Uh, and then this book got intense, so I'll, I'll, I'll be curious to see Squall Unleashed, you know, what that looks like.
1: I'll, I'll, all I will say is that
0: people are going to die. <laughs> in, in the most childlike way. <laughs> okay. All right, well, that'll be interesting. All right, well, thank you so much, for, Squall, for your time. Uh, I'll have links for everything in the show notes, and... I guess that's about it. So thank you folks for your time and attention until next time. Take care. This is MJ signing out and squall as well.
1: Thanks for having me on. and all have a good one. Bye.
0: I hope you enjoyed that. Go to MJ to leave any questions, comments or other feedback you might have there. You can find all of my analysis, art and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.